Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not my favorite Sunday of the year, but there's one advantage. I can preach an extra hour and uh, everybody's okay, right? Maybe not. Stand with me this morning. It's so good to see you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good even though it's early. historically uh, dismiss our early service on the time change Sunday because 8.30 will feel like it's 7.30 and uh, 10.45 feels like it's 9.45. And so we will greet some people as they come in this morning as we're leaving. So tell them uh, have a great service. So we will be back tonight at 6 though. We're on a series called The Runner and we're talking about Jonah. Has anybody here ever ran from God? I think probably so. I think we've all had our issues where we didn't do what God wanted us to do or we kind of circumvented the call of God in our life. But this is a, an entire book about someone who did that and yet God has proved himself mercifully and kind and the God of a second chance. How many of you are glad that you serve a God of a second chance? I am so glad. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning. We love you. We exalt you. We praise you. You're our God. You're the mighty God. You're the thrice holy God. And Lord, we just give you praise today. Open up our ears, our heart, and our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here this morning. I've shared this with some of you before, but I have a friend that I met several years ago by the name of Sam. Sam was raised in East Texas and went to high school like most of us, and Sam found himself on the track team. Now, I was on the track team back in the Stone Age, and so this is what coaches always did. Uh, if you had a particular event that you were very good in, obviously you were enrolled and enlisted in that event, but usually the coaches back then would put you in every event just to fill all the events with the people that they had. And they did that with me. I was a jumper. I, I did the long jump and the high jump, but the coach would put us in uh, races like the 880, the 440, which you were horrible at, but th they put you in there anyway. I remember one time we were in the 880 and me and my friend uh, Johnny had and, and we ran it and that wasn't our run. We just did it to fulfill a spot and one time we came by and we asked the coach, said, what was our time? He said, I don't know, a cloud went by my sundial, I didn't get your time. So that's how horrible we were. But Sam, he said that I did that in East Texas and the coach put me in the hurdles and he said I wasn't a hurdle runner but if you remember about high school and track, they had heats. They, they had, you know, different heats and, and, you know, they would have several of them and then some of the winners, the best times, they would have like a quarterfinal heats and then semifinals and then the final run. And so he said, we were in the D heat, which means it was the slowest heat of the race. And he said, we're in the hurdles. He said, I'm not very good. I'm, I'm with about five or six other guys. We're in the lanes. And says, the, the gun, the pistol fires off and we begin to run. And he said, when I got to the first hurdle, my back foot caught that hurdle and I went sprawling out on the track. And he said, I'm embarrassed. I'm hurt. 
I'm wounded, I'm scraped up. It's the first hurdle. I didn't even get over the first hurdle. And he says, I'm laying there and there's a crowd up in the grandstands. And he said, I, I hear this chant, get up, get up, finish the race, finish the race. And he thought as he laid there on the track, well, they're cheering for me. They want me to get up. He said it was almost like chariots of fire was playing in the background. Get up, finish the race. And he thought, well, if I have that much support, I'll get up and I'll finish the race. And he said, and I looked around, he said, every runner, runner fell on the first hurdle. He said, we're all sprawled out. And the crowd was cheering for everyone to get up. Wow. That sounds like my hurdle experience. Well, sometimes the runners fall. We're going to talk about somebody this morning who's fallen. The runner has fallen, and his name is Jonah. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to Jonah, and uh, you, you'll find it in the Old Testament. And if you're having trouble, there's an index in the front of your Bible because Jonah is one of those books that sometimes we don't uh, look at. But how many of you know it's in the Bible for a reason? The Bible says the things that are written for time were written for our learning. So we're going to learn something today. So Jonah is called by God. He's the prophet, a minor prophet. He's asked to cry out, proclaim, preach against this great city of Nineveh, the city of the Assyrians. So instead of going to Nineveh, he goes the opposite direction. So if you were with us last week, I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but I want to give you some background. The opposite direction is to the west. Nineveh's to the east, about 500 miles. So instead of going to to Nineveh. Jonah runs the opposite way. He's going to Tarshish, which is in Spain. He's getting on a ship. He's trying to get away from God. And how many of you know you can't get away from God? No matter where you go, what you try to do, you can't get away from God. Now, the reason I think he doesn't want to go to Nineveh, because the Ninevites, the Assyrians, are wicked people. They have been warning against God's people. They've been raiding through Israel, raping, pillaging, stealing, murdering. And I think that uh, Jonah really wants to see them judged. I think he wants to see them eliminated. They're horrible people. But yet God is so great in mercy and compassion, he wants to give these people a chance to change their life. Just like he did me and just like he does you. How many glad God wants to give you a chance to change some things about you? And so Jonah runs, and we know the story. Uh, there's a storm in the Mediterranean, and the ship is about to be broken up and go down. They wonder, what's the reason for this great calamity, this storm? They knew it's a supernatural storm, not, not a normal storm. And they figure out it's because of Jonah. And they give him the heave-ho. They throw him overboard. And the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Pick it up, Jonah chapter 1, last verse, verse 17. And the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Now, in the Hebrew text, uh, this verse in verse 1 is actually uh, tied to the, the chapter before, so it would be like verse 18 of chapter 1 if you looked at that text. So what I want you to catch here is Jonah's in the belly of the fish for how long? Three days, three nights, and then verse 1, chapter 2, and then Jonah prayed. How many of you would have prayed a long time before then? What is up with this guy? He does not pray until three days later. 
I don't know what is about uh, Jonah in, in this uh, story here, but this guy, I don't know if he is so rebellious or he thinks he's done or God is not going to save him. But whenever we disobey God, we're not only headed in the wrong direction, it takes us to a lower level of living. So you never go back from God and find a greater level of living. See, Jesus wants to give you abundant life, but if our disobedience leads us away from God, we're headed to a lower level of life, not to the abundant life. So God's calling you up. Jonah's going down here. Now let me give you the series of downs here. He goes from where he lives up in Galilee, so he goes down to Joppa. Then he goes down to the ship. Then he goes down into the lowest part of the ship. Then he goes down into the sea. Then he goes down into the fish. And the fish goes down to the lower parts of the sea. How many of you know this is a down, 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 a downer? So he keeps going down, 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 down. And then when he thinks he's at his lowest point, then God begins to move to get him out of that. But let me tell you what happens here. God sends the storm to redirect Jonah's life. How many of you have ever been in a storm? I, Dad's here this morning, and, and I have a, a, a memory. I, I remember when I was younger, and, and Dad had a diesel Mercedes Benz. And we were somewhere up on North I-35, north of Oklahoma City, somewhere around the frontier city areas. Anybody familiar with that? And it was one of those storms where it was so violent, it seemed like lightning was crashing around me everywhere, around the car. I was looking out the windows in the back. Steve and I were in the back. And, and lightning was flashing everywhere. The, the rain was so heavy, you couldn't see and dad's up there driving, and, and, and water's on the road, and I think, man, this is horrible. Now, I'm just a kid. This is horrible, but anyway, dad's driving. Everything will be all right. Now, if I'd known then what I know today, <laughs> I would have prayed harder. <laughs> but Jonah's in a storm, and, and I want to tell you, God does send storms. Now, let me give you three types of storms that you may identify with. There are storms of protection, there are storms of perfection, and there are storms of correction. Let me give those to you again. There are storms of perfection, uh, correction, protection. So let's start with the first one, the storms of protection. In Exodus chapter 14, remember when Israel is released from Egypt and they're going to the promised land? And as soon as they get away... Pharaoh decides he's going to chase after them and recapture them and put them back into bondage. So here they are. They're headed out. This is Exodus chapter 14. Moses and Israel, they're leaving. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let them leave. I'm going to bring them back, put them into servitude, and I want them to serve us again. Now, when they get to the Red Sea, they're boxed in. It's almost like there's canyons and mountains on both sides, the sea in front of them. But Pharaoh now, his army is right on their heels. And they think they're going to die. Matter of fact, they're, they're murmuring, they're complaining, they're griping, they're weeping. And they're between the wilderness, the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is coming against them and they think this is it. But this is what God did. Remember, he led them with the cloud. And the cloud that was leading them, all of a sudden, I love this, goes from in front of them to behind them. And this is what it says. The cloud on their side was light, 
But on the other side, it was darkness. So darkness happened to the Egyptians. But it was light on the side of the Israelis and God's people. And then that night, the Bible says, a very strong wind began to blow. And it blew hard all night long from the east. And when the sun began to rise, when they're thinking they're in this storm, a passage was made through the Red Sea, the ground was dried out, and they found deliverance by going through the Red Sea. It was a storm of deliverance. It was a storm of protection. You know, the other day we had this really cold snap. Matter of fact, I think it was the coldest day of the year. At my house, it got down to about 14 degrees. What did it get at yours? Now, I heard everybody complaining, oh, it is so cold. It is so cold. 14 degrees. But can I tell you that little winter storm was a blessing to me? Let me tell you how. Because we, we had some hay out uh, southwest that we had bailed. There's about 128 bales there. And we have been unable to get to that hay ever since we bailed it because it's rained like crazy all fall and all winter. Now, we've tried to get it two or three times. And every time we went out to get a bale of hay, we got stuck every time. Not one time did we go out to get a bell of hay that somebody didn't get stuck. And then when it got to be 14 degrees, the ground froze. And we said, hallelujah. <laughs> and we were able to retrieve all of that hay because it got 14 degrees. So when you were huddled up by the fire, we were saying, God, thank you for the storm. Sometimes the storm is a blessing. There are storms where he comes along and he helps us. Psalm 83 verse 15. So pursue them with your temptus and frighten them with your storm. So God gives us storms of protection. This is found in 1 Samuel. The Bible tells us that the Lord thundered against the Philistines. So Samuel and, and, and the people of God are, 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 are worshiping God. They're, they're offering sacrifice. And all of a sudden, the Philistines rush in to take them. And all of a sudden, what happened? God sent a storm and he thundered against the Philistines. And they were saved. Storms of protection. How many of you know God's protected you when you didn't even know he was protecting you? He does it all the time. Then there's storms of perfection. When something happens and you think it's against you or it's a storm that's going to bring you down. You know what God's doing? He's promoting you through the storm. He's perfecting you through the storm. Can I tell you, Joseph thought he was in a storm when he was in a pit and his brothers were contemplating murdering him. That's a storm. What about when he is accused falsely of sexual impropriety with his master's wife? That's a storm. I'll tell you why. Because he got thrown into prison. Not the prison that we think today, this is a horrible place. And in the prison, he's in a storm. From the pit to the prison. But all these things are doing something to Joseph. They're preparing him. They're perfecting him. They're putting him into position to be the prime minister of Egypt, to be one of the most powerful men in all the world. So the storms he went through were preparing him, perfecting him for what God had for his life. So today you may be in a storm and you say, God, what are you doing trying to destroy me? And God's saying, no, I'm positioning you for success. I'm getting you focused to where you need to be. Then there's storms of correction. 
Now that's the kind of storm that Jonah's in today. He's in a storm of correction. He's headed this way, which is out of the will of God, and God said, hey, don't go that way. And Jonah just kept on going. You remember the commercial, you can pay me now, you can pay me later? Jonah is interdicted in his life by a storm, and guess what? happens. That storm is correcting his direction and putting him to a place where he needs to be. I heard someone say this the other day about a son and the son had had some issues and that parent told me that their son came to them and said this is probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Why? It is redirecting their life. So Jonah's being redirected. He's in a storm of correction and you know what? God will do that to you and he'll do that to me. You know why he'll do it? Because he loves you. He loves you so much, he will correct you. And some of you are saying, boy, I wish my dad didn't love me so much. <laughs> I remember when dad would correct Steve and I, and um, he didn't count to three, and it wasn't time out. <laughs> and um, he always started with me first. And by the time he got to Steve, Steve was already dancing and crying, and dad hadn't even touched him yet. <laughs> But God will do that to you. Hebrews chapter 12. You remember the story? Uh, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines, and scourges, gives a good spanking to every son whom he receives. If you endure this discipline and chastening, God deals with you like sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten and discipline? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. You know what he's saying? God will correct all his kids. God will correct all of his kids. And sometimes he corrects us by storms. And in these storms, God redirects our life. Now, Jonah is in a storm. He's being de uh, redirected. And in that redirection, the, whale, the, the, the fish swallows, uh, swallows him and, and, the, and the, the fish takes him down to the bottom of the ocean. Now, while he's there, after three days, he begins to pray. So if you're in chapter 2, I want you to look and listen to this prayer. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows, your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds wrapped around my head. Boy, that's a word picture, isn't it? Weeds wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, of the bottom of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me... You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer went up to you, to your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Powerful prayer. Probably what happened is Jonah's writing this after the fact. He's going back and giving us his narrative, his story, after this event with the Ninevites, the Assyrians. But I want to give you very quickly this morning four observations about this prayer. Here's number one. His affliction and his distress caused him to pray. 
Can I tell you, I can pray pretty good when I'm in trouble. If I forget to pray, if I don't pray, trouble will help you pray. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You're just like me. Sometimes I don't pray like I should, but when I get into my affliction, my distress, this is what Jonah's saying. In my distress, I call on the Lord. Problems tend to draw us closer to God because we need him. I can really pray when I'm in trouble. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Has anyone been redirected when affliction came, trouble came, health issue, marriage issue, financial issue? Now all of a sudden you're saying, God, I need you? That's happened to every person in here. I'm going to assure you, it's happened to every person in here. So his affliction, his distress caused him to cry out to God, caused him to pray. Here's the second observation. Much of Jonah's prayer is scripture from the Psalms. I have to understand that he probably had read the Psalms many times. So when he prays this prayer, many of the lines in Jonah's prayers, they're from the Psalms. Now, you say, well, that's kind of goofy, isn't it? No, it's really not odd because we do it all the time. I do it. Listen, if I'm praying for someone who's sick, you know what I do? A lot of times I pray scripture. Lord, I'm praying for this person. The Bible says that healing is the children's bread. So, Lord, I'm praying for them to be healed. Or, Lord, you said if we anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. You know what we're doing? We're praying Scripture. Matter of fact, I encourage people, you and I need to be praying Scripture. Many times, I will take my Bible, I'll actually turn to the Psalms. You know what I'll do? I'll read a Psalm like it's a prayer to God. I want to direct you to do that sometimes. Just pick up your Bible, go, go to a scripture, and begin to pray that scripture. Sometimes when I'm praying for forgiveness, I pray scripture. You say, Pastor, do you ever pray for forgiveness? All the time. And if you don't, you should be doing, because I know the kind of people you are. You're just like me, Right? There's sometimes I don't have the feelings. I don't have the emotions. And I'll pray the, the, the end of the first uh, chapter of, of, of 1 John. Lord, you said, if I confess my sin to you, you are faithful and just to forgive me of all my iniquity and all my sin. And I, I pray that verse. You know why? Because the word of God is true. And if I pray his word, and it's not that I'm reminding God of his word. How many of you know God didn't forget his word? I'm reminding me of what the Word says in my prayers. That's what I'm doing. And so that's what you should be doing. So if we're praying for wisdom, you ever said this? Lord, you said in your Word, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? I have. Praying for forgiveness. So we pray Scripture. So we're just reminding ourselves of what the Word of God says. Here's the third observation about this prayer. Jonah is acknowledging God's process in his life. God's process in his life. Look at verse 3 in the prayer. For you cast me into the deep. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was those mariners, those sailors on that boat. Didn't you read it with me, chapter 1? Didn't the Bible say that those sailors threw him into the sea? But Jonah said, no, God, you're the one who threw me in. 
You cast me in. Your billows, your waves are passing over me. Verse 4, for I have been cast out of your sight. I will look again toward your holy temple. Verse 9, I will sacrifice to you. Salvation is of the Lord. So now he is focusing his attention where? Back on God, away from himself. And he says, God, you're involved in this process. Can I tell you something? God's involved in your process. So when I pray, I'm acknowledging, God, you're in control here. This is not a random act. This is more than a bad day. Lord, you're in control. This is your doing. So Jonah acknowledges that. Here's the fourth observation. Things begin to change when Jonah prays. Things begin to change when Jonah prays. How many of you know when we pray, things will change? Now, now notice verse 17. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. When did the fish vomit? After he began to pray. Pray, prayer will make you. Vom- I mean, prayer will make fish vomit. <laughs> did you see it? The fish did not vomit Jonah up until Jonah what prayed. Things happen when we pray. You have not because you ask not. This is not my <laughs> this is not my deal, not your deal. How many know this is the word of God? So when Jonah prayed, things began to happen. And as we said last week, this was not your normal vomit, this was projectile vomiting. Because Jonah's he, he's vomited up, he's projected to what? Dry land. <laughs> now Take a moment with me and look at chapter 3. Just want to be there just for a moment. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Say that with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now wake up, let's all say it together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Thank God for the second chance. Thank God that he spoke to Jonah again. Thank God that he speaks to you again. Thank God that he speaks to me again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Go to Nineveh and preach and preach what I tell you to preach. Is that important? I don't, um, I don't want you to preach what you want to preach. I don't want you to preach what's popular in culture. I don't want you to preach what's politically correct. I don't want you to preach what they want to hear. But I want you to preach what I tell you. That is just as relevant then and it's just as relevant today as it's ever been relevant. Have you ever preached something, Pastor, that people didn't like? Well, hello. Folks, I've been preaching for 42 years. I've had people meet me walking down these steps and say, how dare you preach that? How dare you talk about me this morning? (laughs) It's happened more than once. How many of you know God will just read your mail? I don't read your mail, but God will read your mail. He, he knows what you've done. Oh, Brother Ben, one time he said, he said he was preaching in Arkansas. And he said, I made a random statement. God saw what you did in the woods behind that old hollow log. He said, a man come after, after the service says, where were you? 
said, what do you mean? He said, behind that hollow log when I was back there. God knows where you're at. Jonah, go preach, go proclaim, go cry against the, the Ninevites in that great city. But notice what the word says. He says, preach what I tell you to preach. Don't, don't get into this cultural, politically correct mode. My friends, many of our churches today have left the word of God and they've gone a different direction. We need to preach the word. And my friends, if you're 28 years old and you're still pointing your toes to get your legs and your jeans, you need to grow up. Some of you don't have a clue what that meant. Notice the chain of events here. God gives the word to Jonah. Okay, let's focus. God gives the word to Jonah. Jonah proclaims the word in Nineveh. The people hear the word of God, begin to fast and humble themselves. Then the word comes to the king. The king makes the decree and proclaims the fast. But the people have already believed. They're already fasting and sitting in sackcloth. This is important because I've never really seen it this way. This is really a grassroots movement. It didn't begin with the king. Go back and read the chapter. It began when Jonah in this city of over 120,000 people. Of course, there's the wall, there's the, the, the city. But there, there's the suburbs, there's environments all around this, this huge area. Jonah goes for one day. And he goes, think about back in the colonial days or, or back days and years gone past when there would be a crier, a town crier. He would go to a certain part of the city, a plaza, a well, and he would cry out to a neighborhood, a community. And then Jonah would go a little further, he would cry out, he'd preach, he'd proclaim. Yet, yet 40 days, God's going to overthrow this city. You need to repent, turn from your wicked ways. You, you need to turn to God. Not just any God, but Jehovah God, the God of gods, the God who's the real God, the only God, the one God. Amen? That's who you need to turn to. Forsake your idolatry. Forsake your wickedness. And then he'd go to another section of the city and another, and he began to proclaim. And this was a viral, a grassroots movement. And then it got to the palace, it got to the king, and the king heard the word of the Lord, and he said, let's humble ourselves, let's fast. Hey, king, they're already doing it. You're a day late here. So this is something that is not beginning at the top and trickling down. This is beginning at the bottom and moving upward. That's what the word says. My friends, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit this morning. America needs this kind of movement. This is not going to be cured in Washington, D.C. Our politicians are not going to fix all this. Matter of fact, most of them are the problem. poverty and racism and abortion and violence and gangs and crime and corruption and pride and arrogance and socialism and communism banging at the door sexual perversion we've lost our identity moral decay and wickedness 
we have a few people that are trying to do right and holding the faith and trying to go right, but it seems like the majority of people don't care. Are there a huge part of the problem? We need a grassroots revival in America. And don't expect it to stop. Let's keep it going. Don't hope it just has a playtime. Let's hope it really affects more than just one locality or one church or one county or one state. Let's not expect it to come from the top down. Let me tell you, I think the only way this is going to cure itself, it's got to start from the bottom, the, the, the people, and it's got to move upwards. And that's what I'm praying. You see, we've seen about five major revivals through the history of America. The first was called the Great Awakening. Have you ever heard that term? The Great Awakening, back in 1730s through the 1760s, it started in England, actually, and really began to spread to the American colonies. They said in England, there was such a revival that even the, the Welsh coal miners had to retrain their mules and their animals because they didn't understand the words anymore. Now let me tell you, that's a real revival when your animals don't even understand you anymore because you change your language. Somebody say amen. amen. And then there were preachers like Jonathan Edwards preaching sermons like sinners in the hands of an angry God. George Whitfield, John Wesley. And those people were scorned many times. Sometimes the mainline churches uh, did not want them there. So a lot of times they'd preach out in open airs and, 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 and forests and meadows. And many times ten to 30,000 people would come to hear their message. Like a Jonah, proclaim the word of God. George Whitfield stayed at Benjamin Franklin's house while he was preaching in Philadelphia. And Franklin wrote these words of the revival of the time. He said, from being thoughtless and indifferent about religion, it seems like the whole world is growing religious so that one could not walk down the streets of a town in an evening without hearing psalms sung and different families on every street. Man, that's a revival, isn't it? So that is called the Great Awakening. And then in about 1820 to 1850, there was the second Great Awakening. Preachers like Charles Finley called people to repentance. During this time, we see the formation of the YMCA, Salvation Army, American Tract Society, Women's Rights Movement, anti-slavery. Why? God began to move. Do you realize there are cycles that happen among people and nations? When we get morally deprived, sin, arrogance, then all of a sudden we get to a low part, low point. God calls to repentance. Then there's a revival. We get moral high ground and we stay there for a while and then what happens? Things get good. Then we start going back down again. The third great awakening, 1875 to 1885. Preachers like D.L. Moody begin to preach around the country to millions of people. The Civil War is over. We need to heal as a nation. The hymnist Iris Sankey began to compose and compile the great hymns of the church. And then we, we begin to sing. We begin to pray. Then in 1906, along came the Azusa Street Revival. The Holy Ghost fell. The Holy Spirit became prevalent among churches. It was the start of what we know as the Pentecost and the holiness movement. William Seymour was holding meetings on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. And that movement began to spread across America and across the world. 
It brought together the rich, the poor, the black, the white. The gifts of the Spirit began to be in operation within the church, just like the day in the book of Acts. And that still is permeating, permeating around the world. Then, prior to and after World War II, in the mid-20th century, we had another revival time, the 1930s through the 1960s. We had preachers like Billy Sunday, who was a professional baseball player who got saved. G. Campbell Morgan, Oral Roberts, Billy Graham, many others began to wake up the American church. Church has been to grow. A lot of good things happened. The charismatic movement. And we've always had pockets of revival. Still today. But nothing like an American sweeping revival. And let me tell you what happened. Jonah went to Nineveh and he caused a revival. Not that he had an extended two-week session of preaching. But God got a grip of people who had lost their way. He got the hearts of people who had drifted away from what they should have been and where they should be going. And you know what happens when you're there? There's destruction in your future. Nothing good's going to happen. Have you ever had someone brag and they begin to say things like this? Well, when I get to hell... They have no clue. One minute after they die, all the arrogance, all the pride, all the rebellion, everything, the toughness, the coolness will all be gone. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, here is your option. You can do it now or you can do it later. Now, here's the separation. If you do it now, you can be saved. You're going to do it either now or later, but later is too late. Even the devils believe that there's a God. You know why? Because he knows there is a God. And you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to deceive a whole world. There is no God. You're a random accident. You're a product of evolution. What you do, what you say, how you live, your sexuality, your sin, your wickedness, it really doesn't matter. We're all going to go back to dust. Well, that's true in one sense. Your body will go back to where it came from. But the real living you will go back to the God who created you. And how you relate to him today determines how you appear before him tomorrow. So when Jonah preached to the Ninevites and the Assyrians, he's saying you need to turn to God. Not any God, little g, but to the God of creation, the only God that there is. And they believed the word of Jonah. Now I'd like to tell you that they always stayed in the right place with God. But when we read the book of Nahum, we find out this cycle is always true. Some people turn to God, and then there's a generation, and then another generation, and they forget where they came from. They forget the history. 
They forget the heritage. They forget where they came from. They forgot the importance of God. You know what I find out? And I believe this. The grace and the love of God and the favor of God will linger. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sometimes, young people, the reason you're blessed is because you had a praying grandma. Sometimes the reason you're still here because you had a daddy that loved God. And you think it'll always be that way. But you know what? Sometimes that favor, as we continue to run to Tarshish, begins to fade away. And as we go the wrong direction, it begins to get further and further away. But God is still so loving. He says, let me throw you a storm. It's a storm of correction. Let me get you back on course. You think you're hot? You think you're cool? You think it's always going to be this way in Nineveh? It's always going to be this way with the Assyrians? Honey, let me tell you something. If you go back to Nineveh today, it is just a big pile of rubble. Nothing lasts forever. But you will. And I will. We'll spend eternity somewhere. There's only two places to go. And you don't get stuck in the middle. Just a thought. You either headed there or you headed somewhere else. And Jonah's crying against the city. Please, don't go to destruction. Don't continue in your ways. What about our own personal revival? I had one many years ago. I had a personal revival. Ch changed, changed my life. Ch changed my language. Changed my direction. Changed my trajectory. Changed my marriage. Changed everything. You know why? I had a personal revival. You, you know how to have a revival? Draw a big old circle. Get right in the middle of it and just have one yourself. And if enough people do that, we'll have one corporately. Always, well, we need a revival. Well, listen, let it start with you. Let it start with me. Let's have a personal one. So therefore, when they heard the word of Jonah, an entire city and nation turned for the good. When I watch the news and I read articles about where we're headed in America, Literally, it grieves my spirit. Now, I'm going to stop, and I want you to listen very closely. This is your pastor talking. I'm afraid for America. Oh, we're going to be okay. There's always going to be a remnant. But we have to go along with the ride with everybody else. You know what I'm saying? We're going to go along on the ride with everybody else. But what I'm telling you, my friends, is America is headed somewhere that cannot continue because there will be a storm that happens. You can't keep running to Tarshish without the storm. So what if we become like those Ninevites? You say, Pastor, they're horrible people. They repented. They turned there was a revival, if you will, in Nineveh, and God spared. 
I wonder if we could even begin the process ourselves. Could there be a revival at Ray of Hope that affects this whole area? Man, I believe that. I pray for it every Sunday. Have you been praying for it every Sunday? Okay. Some of us have been praying for it every Sunday. Join in with us. I'm going to get in the circle. Lord, let it begin with me. I don't care what Randy's doing. He may be wicked, but let it begin with me. I don't care what Cliff's doing. He may be going to Tarshish, but I'm not going to go there. Let it begin with me. Hey, you could only be responsible for yourself. But if enough of us get in that circle, if enough of us hear the word of God, I'll guarantee you it will change everything around your life. Amen. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.